Good morning guys, it's Seth from Surf Factory. I'm here with Paul from Amato. Hi, how are you doing? Paul, we have a basic understanding of the data center environment, but we want to learn further. So we're here today at your data center in Reading, the largest in Reading. Um, and we just sort of wanted to ask um, you a couple of questions about some topics. Okay. Now, we know that you are the co-founder and the director of cloud. Um, mm -hmm. So the first question I wanna, wanted to ask is, who is Amato? Uh, well, uh, Amato, as you said, we own and operate a data center here in Reading. Um, we are a leading cloud and co-location provider, um, not just in the UK, but actually around the world. Um, so we've got servers deployed in America, Russia, Australia, um, Germany, to deliver kind of cloud services um, for our predominantly UK-based um, clients. Um, my role is uh, kind of, uh, well, we said about being a co-founder, but I'm also a director of cloud. So I solve problems for um, businesses, organizations that are looking to step into the cloud and maybe don't really know how. Okay. Would you be able to give me a brief history of Amito and how they sort of, um, how they came about? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, the, uh, the other co-founders here, we all met at university in Southampton. Um, so we were all doing computer science. So we're all uh, kind of geeky guys, um, which kind of probably means that we, uh, you know, are, uh, we love solving problems with tech. Um, so that's how we kind of got into this sort of thing. Um, we built the data center here in Reading um, in uh, 2012, um, and we've been really focused on, on delivering very high quality, high service um, cloud and co-location. So Paul, how is Amato unique to, compared to other data center providers? Okay, yeah, well there are a number of data center providers and a number of cloud service providers in the world. But really where we're unique is probably in our size. Um, we are small and nimble. Um, but large enough to own a data center and have that flexibility. Um, so we're de delivering enterprise-grade solutions for medium-sized uh, and SME um, clients. Um, service quality is a really big factor. So we have an average response time of less than three minutes to support tickets. So clients get a really quick response. Um, they get problems solved very quickly, they get changes made very quickly, and they get a very high quality of advice and support. Okay. Uh, just wanted to sort of touch up on the fact that you said um, that you are obviously large enough to own your own data center. If I'm not mistaken, you have, I think it's over 40,000 servers in... Yeah, I've got capacity for that. Yeah, yeah capacity of 40,000 servers, mm -hmm. and obviously having a, an average response time of three minutes mm -hmm. is quite, quite amazing, mm -hmm. because when you have such a large um, sort of data center to cover, the support is getting there that quickly, it's obviously very appealing to clients. Just mm -hmm. wanted to touch upon that. So, um, the next question I have is regarding automation. How has the increase in automation-based infrastructure equipment um, affected this particular data center? Mm -hmm. Well, um, you know, given, uh, given we have got capacity for 40-odd thousand servers um, and, you know, a thousand racks of equipment, you can't deliver that level of service and support without automating, you know, quite a few aspects of the service. So. We try very hard to use systems um, where systems are appropriate and people where people are appropriate. Of course. So as a prime example, um, all of our racks are um, kind of actively monitored for their power usage and we then extend that uh, information to clients. They get to see live bandwidth graphs as well. Yep. Um, 
as opposed to in other organisations, um, other data centre facilities, they might be sending an individual round every month to go and read what those um, settings are, what the uh, usage uh, stats are. They're taking those down, writing them down, handing them over to someone in finance who's then making a, uh, sending out an invoice. It's very prone to error, and yeah. if you make errors, you've then got a customer service issue that you've got to then attend to. So. By getting things done right with the right systems and automation, um, you can actually lower your human requirements. Um, so our humans are there to, uh, our humans, <laughs> uh, my, my team members yes. are there to, um, to support, um, to understand, to build relationships, to uh, solve problems. Yeah. Which I think is a very big thing because when, when you have that sort of edge of human error, mm -hmm. um, it, it, of course, when it, it can cause not only yourselves um, sort of a difficult problem, but obviously the customer. And we, we, we try to avoid that as much as, as, much as possible. So. Absolutely. And our, our client portal, um, which is called Vision, it not only, can, not only provides our clients with a way to communicate with us, but actually it's how we control everything from the cooling in the building to the security and access. You know, it's, a, it's some people here describe it like an octopus. It's got a tentacle in every in every <laughs> yes. aspect of the business, um, and it's really critical for us. Yeah. So data centers consume about two percent of electricity worldwide, and that could rise to about eight percent um, by of global total by twenty thirty. Mm -hmm. So, what I wanted to ask you is, how is Amateur reducing its energy consumption? Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, this is a really popular topic at the yes. moment. Um, Green computing's everywhere. <laughs> it's, a, it's a critical issue. Um, for us, it's all about designing things with, a, with sustainability in mind from the outset. Yeah. So we have built and designed this data center. Um, you, you get a lot of data centers that are designed to a certain level of efficiency, but then actually in reality, they don't operate within that level of efficiency. Uh, we both are designed and operate within the level of efficiency that we've set, um, and that's actually uh, it's a PUE of 1.16, so inside 1.2. Um, what that means is that for every one unit of power consumed by a server, we are using up to 0.2 in cooling it and other kind of resilience around it. You might have other data center operators out there that are uh, investing or maybe wasting 0.8, maybe even another whole unit of power. So that's how we, you know, we're, we're constantly looking at where we're gonna be for the next, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, um, making decisions now based on efficiencies that are gonna last us a long time. Um, I know we've talked about the efficiencies of individual servers. Yep. I mean, for me, the, uh, if you look at a single, single physical server um, and look at what its power usage is, comparing um, say Supermicro with, with, Super with another vendor, you might notice, say, I don't know, a 10% difference here or there. It, it might not be particularly attractive, but when you're looking at a facility that's got 40, 50, 60,000 servers, yeah. that starts to become a much larger issue. Okay. Um, I wanted to ask you personally, your personal opinion, mm -hmm. um, because, for example, you have companies like Supermicro, as you mentioned, that you that are pushing taglines like better, faster, greener. Mm -hmm. Now, in, in my personal opinion, green computing is is the direction for the future, but it's not quite um, sort of defined how it should be done. Mm -hmm. So we know that, for example, uh, in, in one of our podcasts, China is obviously using sort of wind farms, etc., to sort of generate that sustainable greener energy. Mm -hmm. But what is your personal opinion? How 
should it be done, where should it go, and do you even believe in it? Because we have, we have, for example, um, we have met and had guests on other videos that just don't believe in green computing. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't, I don't think you can say you don't believe in it. It's a real thing. Well, yes. <laughs> um, but ultimately, um, it, is a, it is a much larger issue than something um, any individual data center can completely solve. But there are actions that a data center can take. So we've already talked about the way that we've designed yes. our data center. We talked about um, equipment that we are selecting based on its efficiency. Mm -hmm. um, you know, power is the largest cost in a data center. Yeah, so if you can lower the amount of power that you're using, you can then deliver more cost-effective solutions for clients. Um, for me, it's more of a centralized government kind of thing. So the mains grid, um, we support the mains grid in its aspirations to use um, solar power, um, you know, uh, wind farms and things like that to generate power. Um, one of the issues um, with that is that sometimes you get still days that aren't particularly sunny, and we're not generating enough power for the um, for the industry for the for the country. And so the way we support that is actually we are able to generate power here, um, come off grid. Um, and lowering our usage on the mains grid, but also generating additional power to support uh, mains grid. So that's something that we're doing um, to support the overall kind of uh, aspirations of the UK to, um, to be um, slightly greener. That is remarkable. Well, thank you for your insight. <laughs> that's all right. Um, security. Now, if nothing else, I say this is probably one of the, the biggest sort of um, questions when it comes to data centers. Yep. So, uh, and obviously cloud as well. So security within the cloud is, as I said, very important. You, it needs to be sort of um, solidified and trustworthy. So what does Amito do to keep the client's data safe? Uh, well, as you say, this is a topical issue, right? Yeah. This, is, uh, <laughs> this, is something, um, this is something I'm constantly getting asked questions about when I'm meeting clients, but also um, speaking um, on, on this exact topic at a, a few different events. Um, as far as I'm concerned, it's all about risk. Um, no two clients that we talk to have the same view on risk. Um, they will have different, um, different requirements within their business, but different external pressures from um, legal and compliance points of view. So for me, it's all about having an appropriate infrastructure or solution that meets and delivers on the level of risk that they are happy with. Um, so prime example, we're talking about um, kind of data security. I have got clients that are very happy to be in a public cloud environment where ultimately it's a multi-tenant environment, shared systems. Um, I've got clients who absolutely insist that it has to be dedicated infrastructure and that's your private cloud. But actually we're increasingly seeing people that are in that gray area in between. They might be happy to run the compute element of their service in the public cloud, but ultimately if they were to turn all of those virtual machines off, they want all of that data to be safely residing on a dedicated storage array. And so that's where you need a supplier, a provider who understands where you're coming from from a business point of view and can deliver a solution that's appropriate for what you want to achieve. I assume that can't be too easy when the sort of client is in that gray area. Um, obviously, as you said, when, they, when they're when happy to sort of use both, it mm -hmm. does sort of take more 
time to mm. um, sort of prepare the cloud for them. So yeah, I think that's something that they must appreciate from yourselves. So we, we just have this really consultative approach. Um, we start with a blank sheet of paper and we say, how do you want this to be? Um, sometimes they don't know the questions to ask. And so we introduce the questions to them. We say, you know, what about this? What about that? And they might be things that they haven't really thought about. Um, you know, we're not a cybersecurity um, firm, no, um, and there are experts in, in that field. But from an infrastructure point of view, we are experts in that, and we can we can help businesses to navigate a very very um, sensitive area. Astounding! What more could you want? <laughs> um, now. Obviously, when you have a client that sort of has been with you for quite a while, um, and for whatever circumstances they need to move to sort of another data and another provider, yep. they would probably request the data to be destroyed. So, how mm. do you destroy both physical data and software-based data? How mm. would you, what would be the pros and cons, and how would you approach both yep. scenarios? Um, so. I mean, I'm probably just going to end up saying a similar thing. It's about mm -hmm. having it appropriate for the client. So we've got clients where in their opening agreement, um, you know, we don't want them to leave, um, but it's stupid to presume that someone's going to be a client forever. <laughs> um, so in their opening agreement, they will have stipulations in there that specifically say, if we do leave, we want you to, we want you to destroy all data um, within X number of days. Um, um, we want to, it to be destroyed in this manner, um, maybe physically, maybe just logically. Um, I, I struggle to find some of the hyperscale cloud providers being able to give that sort of um, comfortable uh, agreement. Um, so that's where I think, you know, we talked earlier about, you know, the flexibility that we have as a provider. Um, that's that's a real kind of key uh, key thing for our clients. You know, if they say they want it to be destroyed in a in, in a certain way with a certain partner or a certain you know with a certain demonstrable proof and sign off, then we can do that. Are there any um, advantages to destroying? Um, for example, if you destroy the data physically, is there mm. sort of advantages to that over destroying it um, like sort of software based? Um, so I guess it comes down to. Um, the same thing with all logical versus physical. Um, you know, we talk, uh, I mentioned earlier about public cloud versus private cloud. Yeah. Um, often you'll be using the same technologies on those. Um, public, uh, you know, the virtualization technology on both of those have got security systems in place to segregate clients and prevent one client accessing another client's data. Mm -hmm. But it's software, so it is prone to error. Um, it's prone to being hacked. Um, you, you would say that it's a low risk, but it's a risk. Whereas in a physical um, private cloud environment, that risk is still there, but it's a case of, well, if it did happen, um, it would only be you being able to access your own data, not one of my other clients being able to access that data. And the same is true with um, the physical destruction versus logical destruction of, of data. Um, you're using software to zero off data on, on physical drives. The likelihood is that's not going to be retrievable, um, particularly when you, you do it X number of times. Um, but it's, it's not impossible. Um, there, there might be um, organizations out there that particularly specialize in, re in retrieving that sort of data, whereas if it has actually been physically destroyed um, to a point where it's completely unusable, then that's you know a much stronger guarantee. Okay, um, so what 
what do you as Ameto mm -hmm. do to prevent data from being being stolen? Yeah. Which um, I think is quite a big question because yeah. um, as we've obviously talked about the pros and cons of both uh, physical and software-based data, but how can, if someone wanted to access a client's data, how, what precautions you take to stop them? Um, so, as you say, it's a pretty broad term, stolen. Yeah. Um, you've got everything physical, um, so um, you know, when you guys came into the data centre today, um, we've got um, perimeter fencing around the whole building, you've got a security guard here who's 24-7, you've got a man trap with retina scanners, you know, it's difficult to physically gain access into this building um, unless you've been authorised to do so. Um, the same is true logically um, from a security point of view with firewalls, um, you know, other physical security barriers, uh, sorry, other logical security barriers that will be in place. We're, we're probably seeing more um, more use of things like web application firewalls where the um, it, it starts to become a slightly more um, automated approach so it's not just about saying oh well that packet is okay because it's coming from that source but actually you know what's in that packet and and then potentially blocking different packets um, from getting through um, based on their their type I think what's really good is that we are continuing to see security systems become more mainstream. So people have now got two-factor authentication um, systems in place for accessing their bank, accessing their emails, and five, ten years ago, that would have been a really foreign, um, a foreign process for most people outside of really large blue chip organizations. I mean, I don't know if you remember people walking around with um, little kind of USB key sized things on their keys that just gener constantly generating new six digit codes and that was, oh. you know, they were the two factor authentication processes whereas now they've been simplified and digitized onto an app on your, on your phone. So I think that's really good because that just makes people more aware um, and ultimately uh, a lot of the time humans are the, the weakest link in most security yes. uh, things so the simpler it is to keep your um, you know your employees as secure as best as as, uh, as possible. That's that's got to be better. Okay. W one thing I wanted to ask you was um, regarding the DDoS attacks. Mm. So if let's say a client would, I mean it's very unlikely, but let's say it would happen to uh, one of their servers was to be attacked, mm -hmm. uh, DDoS attack. Mm -hmm. What would sort of be the procedure and how would it be sort of sorted out if that was an issue? So um, as standard. All of our all of our clouds, uh, all of our colo clients are protected um, by for against DDoS. So um, I mentioned our our, our portal, our vision yes. portal that actually analyzes all of the data that's coming in and out of our networks um, 24/7. Um, when it detects something that is an unusual spike that looks like a DDoS attack, um, we are rerouting it via a third-party partner that we are then cleaning that traffic and passing it on. Mm -hmm. Historically the solution for the provider would have been just basically to block that, um, which has the same effect as the DDoS. So the DDoS attack was initiated to try to take this client offline, and then as a service provider, in order to protect my other clients from, from this attack, I'm just going to block it for them. So the, the attacking company has succeeded, um, my client's still offline, whereas now the best way to do it is actually to clean that, allow normal traffic through to keep them online, but block the attacking uh, vectors.
Thank you for that insight. That's right. I think the point that Craig is trying to make is with Supermarket, you can buy separate components. Mm -hmm. uh, it's much more available and it's m pretty much more common to just buy the components to sort of integrate yourself. Mm -hmm. We have an integrator to do it. Um, whereas Dell and HP are well known for basically doing all that hassle for you mm -hmm. and giving you the end product. Of course, they charge their labor costs because mm -hmm. they need to make some money. But, you know, when you have, let's say, a Supermicro server that needs to be updated and you need to upgrade its, its hardware, it's, it's much more straightforward. You just buy the components you need mm -hmm. and you just do it yourself. And it doesn't take much time at all. Mm -hmm. um, but as with Dell, if you have, let's say, I don't know what generation De uh, Dell has, but let's say they have a generation 9, for example, in the generation 10 system, you will have to buy a generation 10 system. You can't mm -hmm. just replace the, the necessary components to make okay. our reasoning. Our reasoning for using Supermicro is slightly different. Okay. Um, so as I mentioned, we, we provide cloud services um, all around the world, right? So we need to be able to, wherever possible, standardize our deployment um, so that we're not supporting um, a completely different setup in America than the one that we've got in Germany. Okay. Um, so we try to um, standardize our deployments and if we, um, if we partner with, um, if we use the equipment of a, um, a manufacturer that we can get we can source internationally, um, it gives us much greater flexibility. Now, obviously Dell and HP exist all the way around yeah. the world. I'm not saying that they don't. Um, however, um, if you are in a situation um, with Dell or HP where um, you're using their Model 7 or whatever it is, yeah. um, and they choose to um, kind of stop providing that, for whatever reason, um, or they start to incentivize people, they start to increase the price on their Model 7 to incentivize people to move to their Model 8 because that's what they want to be selling. We wouldn't want to have to be in that position where, oh right, well we now need to refresh our whole infrastructure internationally um, in order to keep it consistent. Um, so for us, um, Supermicro gives us, I mean, we talked about modularity, it does allow us the ability to have a consistency of chassis but then when we're deploying a private cloud for this client uh, that's slightly different to our public cloud, maybe we can add GPUs or a slightly different RAID controller or um, you know, an anything else that is particular to them whilst maintaining the same chassis and the same CPU and, and so on. So it allows us to be flexible in the solutions that we provide um, whilst maintaining um, a consistency in terms of the equipment we've got to support. Okay, so thank you, Paul, for answering all my questions. I know it's been probably a bit of a tough day. So we've, oh, just as a quick summary, we've touched upon green computing, we've touched upon automation, security, which was, of course, probably one of the biggest topics. Um, we've also did a bit of comparison between Dell and um, HP Supermicro, so that's a bit of, bit of interest there. So I just wanted to say thank you for your time. It's been a Thanks pleasure so much coming to Reading. So, um, guys, we... This will be part of um, our sort of weekly podcast. The next episode will be out next week. Um, you know, please do check out uh, Amito's data center in Reading. It is one of it is the largest, yep. um, and they're doing some really incredible work to sort of push data centers to to the next generation, to the next level. So you know, just have a look at them. Um, give Paul here a bit of love, and we'll we'll see you soon. Thank you for your time. Thanks very much.